welcome to church this morning. Would you stand with us? Sing this with me. Your love is like radiant diamonds bursting inside us. We cannot contain your love will surely come find us like blazing wildfires singing your name sing god of mercy god of mercy sweet love
Well, good morning again, everybody. Welcome to Groton Bible Chapel. Um, whether you're, you're in the room with us or you're watching online with us, it's good to be here together. I don't know what kind of week you're having. Um, I don't know how you're doing. Um, I don't know, you know, where you're at spiritually, emotionally, uh, relationally, financially, all of those. I don't know where you're at, but our God does and our God loves us. Uh, his, uh, his love is never failing. And so uh, we come together every week on Sundays and we praise him just for how good he is. And uh, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's going on in our lives. So, um, you know, I encourage you this morning, wherever you're at, whatever you got going on outside these four walls or wherever you're, you're watching online, um, don't let this, this moment pass. Don't let this moment pass by. Let's praise our God for just how good he is. He is worthy of our praise. Let's sing this out. Because you are the Lord Almighty, outshining all the stars in glory. Your love is like the wildest ocean. Oh, nothing else compares. Sing your love. Your love so great, Jesus in all things. I've seen a glimpse of your heart a billion years. Still I'll be singing How can I praise you enough? How can I praise you enough? You are You are the Lord Almighty Outshining all the stars in glory Your love is like a wild distortion Creation calls on to the Savior. We are alive in your praise in earth and sky. No one is higher. Our God of wonders, you reign. Our God of up all praise. 
not to us, but to your name. We lift up all praise. Not to us, not to us, but to your name. We lift up all praise. Not to us, but to your name. We lift up all praise. You are the Lord Almighty. I'll shine in all the stars in glory. Your love is like the wildest ocean. Amen, if you believe that.
sound good. Coming back to heart 
Take a few moments here this morning. 
just by yourself. Just don't let this moment pass, you know. Be quiet before the Lord here this morning. You guys can have a seat. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Amen. Thank you, Johnny and Eric, for, for leading us this morning in worship. What a powerful time. I uh, want to welcome you once again. Uh, my name is Gary Campbell. I'm not only on the pastoral staff here, but I'm here this morning representing the elders of the church with a few sort of church family announcements that we want to share uh, with you. First, uh, we want to update you on some decisions regarding COVID-19 and where we stand as a church this morning. You know, as we've mentioned throughout the pandemic from the very beginning, we hold intention the role that we play, that churches play in our community, and that is for the spiritual and emotional care of a large group of people and balancing that spiritual and emotional care against the physical risk of the coronavirus itself. And so given the significant decline over the last six plus weeks, not only in the infection rate in our region, but especially that of hospitalizations and deaths, and balancing that with the need for relationship and fellowship by the way, something that was so evident on Friday night at the Men of Faith Conference. We're going to begin loosening our COVID-19 restrictions over the next several weeks. And for the sake of brevity this morning, I'll give you just the first couple of steps covering now to, say, mid-April. So beginning this coming week, we're no longer going to mandate masks in groups of 25 or less groups of 25 or less, and the distance will be a recommendation. What this will allow for is groups to resume in the close quarters of homes, living rooms, uh, places like that. And peace gr groups that have been meeting to this point will have the opportunity as they minister and as they pray to see one another's faces, to see those smiles, and even those times of tears and, and great need. And as always, uh, this is for those that are comfortable. And if someone, as we've been following all along in your group, uh, were to test positive, we would encourage you to, uh, uh, or become sick, you know, pro follow the proper protocols and, and quarantining and so forth, as we've done. 
Now, for Sunday mornings, as sort of a first step, uh, we've reconfigured this room, you may know, I have noted, uh, allowing for more seating in here while still maintaining uh, as much distance as we can, as well as reopening the overflow space uh, next door for at least the month of March. And so that gives us uh, more space as well. Uh, one other big change, one other addition that we're really excited about is the phasing in of 9 a.m. Sunday school. And so we're going to begin in mid-March, uh, March 14th, a couple weeks from now, with teens. Our youth uh, Sunday school will open up at 9 a.m. on March 14th. GBC Kids will resume uh, meeting at 9 a.m. on April 4th. That is also Easter Sunday. Now, one note about GBC Kids and, and starting on Easter Sunday. That is not possible if we don't get some commitment from the church family to support that by teaching and, and providing helpers and so on and so forth. And so I want to put on my pastoral hat this morning and exhort you and encourage you. If you've been attending GBC in person since July when we opened and you haven't served, but you've been coming and, and being fed, which is wonderful, I want to exhort you and encourage you to prayerfully consider jumping in with our kids teams and being able to make that happen. We can't launch GBC Kids without, without your help. Some of you have served uh, years ago in the past. And, uh, you know, you don't have to put that, that skill on the shelf. We'd love to have you come back and be a part of the team. Some of you have never served, and you don't know the great joy and the equipping work that happens when you teach, like in my personal history, a, a sixth-grade boys' Sunday school class. And so we would encourage you, exhort you uh, uh, to, to uh, see the Welcome Center. Reach out to Megan at GrottenBibleChapel.org and help us uh, put those teams together. Uh, for the 9 a.m. Sunday school. So again, teens on March 14th, kids on April 4th. Finally, what about wearing masks on Sunday mornings? We are targeting April 11th, and that's the Sunday after Easter, uh, that in the event that we see a continued decline in primarily the uh, deaths and hospitalizations, and given that uh, by all predictions, by early April, uh, the complete vaccination of those in our high-risk populations, that is our, the oldest among us, will have been uh, fully vaccinated. That will have been completed. Uh, we will move to allow people to remove masks while seated, uh, as we had been doing from July to December. In addition, we'll re reintroduce coffee at that time as well. So I think that, I don't know what's more welcome. Well, I guess there you go. <laughs> Now, I understand, uh, believe me, I understand very well that not everyone will be pleased with these decisions or perhaps the timing. And by the way, that's been true of every decision throughout the pandemic. But please know that we make these decisions as elders carefully and prayerfully with a, a host of variables in mind, that we're united in these, in these decisions. So, you know, if you're absolutely un unable to support these changes in the timing, we'd simply directly direct you to the online option. Uh, this has been a safe alternative. It's a great alternative uh, for many of us throughout the pandemic at different times. So we did direct you that way. Um, and encourage you, if you have questions or concern, as always, you can reach out to us uh, via email or, or uh, uh, so forth. So uh, moving on from COVID-19. I uh, want to talk about something else we're really excited about. On Vision Sunday, which was just about eight weeks ago, uh, the elders announced our intention to fill two staff positions in 2021. And I'm pleased to share with you this morning that both of these positions have been filled. First is the part-time missions pastor's position. Uh, this person will be working in tandem with our current missions pastor, Andy Bonner, as Andy transitions out of his role in the fall of this year. And so we are thrilled to announce that that role is being filled by Mike Bontempo. You see a picture of Mike and his wife here. 
<laughs> now, Mike and his wife, Kim, have been at GBC for about two and a half years. Uh, Mike loves the Lord, and he is passionate about seeing people come to know Jesus as their Savior. And I encourage you to uh, greet Mike when you see him and welcome him to our leadership team. Uh, the second position is the full-time technical director. Uh, we're equally as excited to announce that this role will be filled by our own Zachary Flight. <laughs> Zach and his wife, Danielle, are both homegrown GBCers. Two youth group kids, by the way, that uh, I'm proud to say went through the youth ministry when I was the youth pastor here at GBC. And in addition, I had the privilege of, of marrying them to each other. And Zach loves the Lord, and he loves Groton Bible Chapel, and he's going to make a great addition to, his, to our team as well. Now, Mike and Zach will both be starting their roles in the month of April, although they're, they're both already serving uh, here at the church. And so uh, we're super grateful. And uh, just with all those things in mind, I'm going to pray for us. And uh, then we're going to hear the message from Pastor Zach this morning. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we come before you this morning as a, a congregation of your people. In this room and in our own rooms and living rooms around our community, Lord, we're tuned in and come here together, uh, even at a distance, to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the freedom and opportunity we've had this morning to just sing out our hearts to you to acknowledge, Lord, that we do indeed uh, pant after you as a deer pants for the water brooks, as the psalmist says. Lord, this morning as we approach you the, uh, to hear your word, would you help us to be distractionless, to be open-hearted to receive what you have for us from what Zach has prepared. Lord, I think of the, the um, kids and, and the teens that are next door, some of the teens that have been at Berea, Lord, hearing your word this weekend, hearing your word this morning, would you be with those teachers? Uh, Lord, give them your words and uh, honor the time. Lord, bless the time that they've spent preparing their Sunday school lessons. Bear fruit in the lives of, of our young ones here at GBC, Lord God. God, we pray for our nation in desperate need of you. Lord, we pray for our president, our vice president, the cabinet members that are just kind of getting going. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, just all that's happening in our nation. We think of some of this, the legislation that's coming up that, that brings concerns to the body of Christ, Lord. Would you help us to know how to respond? Lord, help us to know how to be a prayerful people uh, and yet a people who stands for what's right. Uh, Lord, would you be with our local? We think of our local government, uh, this town, this county. Help us to be a, a supportive, prayerful people. Lord God, uh, as we leave this place today, would you help us to be a missional people, to love the community, uh, to serve the community, and to introduce them to Jesus. Lord, would you bless uh, Zach as he comes and shares with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and take a moment to greet one another, stand, send a text or a wave, and we'll be back in 30 seconds.
All right, we got to cut you short because Gary dropped the ball on that one. I'm giving you a hard time. Oh, man. Love it. Love it. Uh, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome, GBC family, people watching online. We're glad you're here. You know, something kind of neat happened this week, and I don't know if you felt it. I think it was Wednesday when it was like 50s. Some people was in the low 60s, and you got that kind of that sense of what's coming, you know? Some of you were outside wearing shorts for the first time in a while. And one of my boys was outside half naked, running around. It's uh, just the, the, that anticipation. And the neat thing about the seasons, and I grew up in Southern California, and so it's boring there, but here the seasons is, uh, is the rhythms and, and just the idea of, of what's coming. And so, you know, you think about the last year, things were tough, but it shall pass. And there's a sense of, of life and restoration and renewal and growth that's, that's coming our way. And one of the things we encounter through this series is Jesus talking about what's to come. And people are kind of confused about that. And they hear what he's talking about, but they're not quite sure that they like it. And he has to kind of explain to them that, that no, 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 it, it, it's good. And that's why we call this series, I Promise. And Gary, a couple of weeks ago, he talked about a few of the different kinds of responses to that. Peter and Philip and Thomas responding to some of the weird things that Jesus is saying. And then last week we had a, a guest speaker, missionary James, talk about the Holy Spirit that's going to be coming as Jesus goes. And today we continue kind of in that line, in that thought as we look at the Gospel of John together in this series. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in John 14, verse 18, and always do this. It's about that far. And uh, if you have the CSB note-taking Bible, it's page 1153. Uh, everybody else, you can find it on your own. But uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is where we are, chapter 14. And if you have a physical Bible, I encourage you to open it up. And uh, you know what? I'm going to read it first, and then we'll pray. I'm going to read the whole thing. We can handle this, like nine verses. So let's do this. Verse 18. Let me just say this as a way of, of intro. Jesus is having intimate moments with his followers. The second half of the Gospel of John slows down and it gets very personal. And so these, these are intimate moments. Intimate moments with Jesus. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans, I am coming to you. That word orphan there, by the way, could be used of someone who loses one parent, two parents, or loses a teacher, a rabbi. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Talking about when he comes back for the resurrection, the people who would see Jesus in his resurrected body would be followers of those who would become followers, not the entire world. Because I live, you will live too. Ooh, we'll dive into that a little bit. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. A lot of ins going on there. We get to unpack today. Verse 21, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot. Just to be clear, there's some disagreement over which Judas, because there's actually a couple of them within Jesus' circles, but we just know it's not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Why? Because 
There was this expectation of, of Jesus coming down and revealing himself in all of his glory and might and magnitude and that the whole world would see him coming down to, to take the throne. That's not what Jesus was talking about. In fact, he doesn't even answer the question. He invites him to listen to what he has to say. Verse 23, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. If you were here last week, James made this awesome point. He's talking about in the Old Testament, we have a God for people. And then with Jesus, we have a God with people. And then with the spirit, we have God within his people. Love that. Keep going. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. There's a lot there, and I gave some notes there because there's two things in particular we're gonna dive into today. The first one is this idea of being in Jesus, and then the second part is gonna look at all that love language in the second half, because there's a lot of it there, and that's what we're gonna unpack. Before I do so, I'm gonna pray. God, we are so grateful that we get to be here, Lord, that we get to participate in this. God, that because of what you've done, Jesus, because of what you did on the cross, that we have this kind of direct access. And so God, as we pray directly to you because of us being in Jesus, God, as those who would trust in him, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would confront us this morning, that you would challenge us this morning. For those who need encouragement, God, that you would just bring encouragement. For those who need to be reminded how loved they are, that you would lavish that love upon them, God. For those who are experiencing shame, God, that you would just present them with your grace. For those who are comfortable, that you would make them uncomfortable in the best possible ways. And so, God, we invite you to do that with us and to us this morning as we try to learn more about you and grow in our affections for you. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, first off, first three verses. I'm gonna reread them. We're in John 14, and then we're gonna park in verse 20. It says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. Remember, he says this because he's told them a few times that he's leaving. And so you can anticipate kind of the feeling, the mood in the room as Jesus has talked about in the last two chapters, him going somewhere. Peter didn't like it. And, and, and so he's responding, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You were in me and I am in you. What in the world does that in language mean? It's language that you see all throughout the New Testament. It's language in particular that you see with Paul. And Paul just scatters it everywhere in his letters. Paul, this person who, who was killing Christians, God got a hold of his heart, changed him. He became the most prolific missionary and church planner. That Paul, talking about how we're in Christ. And the way theologians have captured this concept is with this, this term, union with Christ. Union with Christ. Let me just... Share an illustration. I want you to imagine for a moment that I take my four-year-old, it's pre-COVID, I take my four-year-old on a flight with me. We're going to Southern California. 
So we get on a plane and we fly to Southern California and we get there, we actually, we don't drive up north to Ventura where my family lives, we drive south down to Disneyland. And we stay in the Disney hotel. And we go to Disneyland and we didn't go to Florida because the family's also in California. Some of you are like, why wouldn't you go to Florida if you're not, we would see the family too. But we go there, we, we get to see Disneyland. And then after that, there's this nice two trees hill. Uh, a, you can't call it a mountain, it's a hill. But nonetheless, my four-year-old wouldn't be able to climb it on his own. So we decide, hey, we're gonna climb that. So he gets on my back. I got this backpack that Gary gave me a while ago and he gets on my back and we climb to the top of the hill. And then we go and we, we visit my uncle and it just so happens my uncle has a relationship with a fellow congressman there. And so we, we do lunch and we get to spend some time with this congressman. Now, when we come home, and you see my son, and you ask him the question, hey, what did you do last week? He could absolutely say, well, I flew to California. I went to Disneyland. I stayed in a hotel. It was, it was awesome. There was so much to do there. I went, and I went up to the top of this hill, and it was a long hill, but I went all the way to the and then I got to sit down and I actually got to eat lunch with, with this person who was in government. It was amazing. If he were to say that to you, everything he would say would be absolutely 100% true. But he could only say it by virtue of his connection with me. He got to go on the flight because I paid for the plane. He got to stay in the hotel because it was paid for by me. He went up to the top of the mountain because he was on my back. He sat down at that table because of a relationship that I had, not because of a relationship that he had. That's union with Christ. John Piper provides this definition. There, there, there's lots of them, and this kind of boils all of them down in a really good way. It is the reality of all the ways that the Bible pictures our human connectedness to Christ in which he is indispensable, indispensable for every good that we enjoy. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that everything that we have as a Christian believer, everything that we experience in the Christian life is by virtue of our connectedness with Jesus by virtue of our lives being bound up with Jesus. And we see this littered everywhere. That his will over the course of our life would become our will. His purposes are purposes. His affections are affections. And this connectedness, our lives are bound to his, that our minds and our hearts and our wills and our affections would become inextricably interwoven with those of Jesus such that what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. And we see this everywhere. We see in Ephesians 1.4 that in Christ we are chosen, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. In Jesus we are reconciled, Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. A lot of talk in our world about reconciliation. Any reconciling that happens apart from Jesus is at worst artificial, at best superficial. In Jesus, we have been forgiven, Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ, in Christ forgave you. Why are you forgiven? Because of your connectedness with Christ. In him, we are justified, 2 Corinthians 5. 
For he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Once you get this, you read the Bible, you just can't not see it. It's everywhere. That by virtue of our relationship with Jesus, we get to participate. It goes on. That in Jesus we receive the Spirit. Galatians 3.14. That in Jesus we experience transformation. Philippians 2.5. That in Jesus we experience unity. Galatians 3. That in Jesus we experience blessings. In Jesus we experience new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. In Jesus we experience victory. 2 Corinthians 2, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us to triumphal procession. This idea, union with Christ, is that what's his is mine. Not because of what I bring to the table, not because of my own perfection, not because of how good I'm doing in my devos this week or how much I've prayed this week or how well I'm dressing or the habit that I've kicked. Not because of any of those things. We get to experience all of this by virtue of our connectedness with Jesus. And that's freeing. That when God looks at us, he would see Christ and the righteousness of Christ. When we put our trust in Jesus, what's his is mine. Now it's not just about trust though and the root of this passage gets into love. Gets into affections. To devotion. There are people in this room who probably like me, you're a little bit more on the thinker side of the equation. Maybe you're uh, that stereotypical cold New Englander. Stereotype doesn't always hold. I know people hate it, want to bring it up, but, but it's there. I want you to think when you see this word love, we're not just talking about a phrase you say. We're talking about an, an affection oriented at someone. And you can think of someone in your life, in your world, for whom that might be the case. A grandparent whom you haven't seen in a long time, but... You know, vaccines get out and it becomes that time and you get to, you get to grip them for the first time. You know, your spouse comes back from being underway and it's been a little while and it's been tough, but you get to grip them for the first time. That thing that you feel, that affection. We talk about love. Verse 21. I have it on here, but I'm gonna read it out of here. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. I also will love him and reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're gonna reveal yourself? Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Just point this out. The word word and commandment are synonymous. They're interchangeable. In the Old Testament, what you call the 10 commandments are actually the 10 words. That's why for the longest time, and even today, people call it the Decalogue. Deca meaning 10, log referring to word. And so the 10 words. So when Jesus says, keep my words, he's referring to commands. And he's given lots of them throughout his life. This idea of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But in John in particular, you get a lot of things like receive, abide, trust. 
Verse 24, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I want to point something out about our love for Jesus before we kind of break down the three points here. This is important. I heard, I heard this was pointed out to me by someone else a while back, that our love for Jesus is both quantitatively and especially qualitatively different than our love for anyone else. You are incapable of loving a person in the way that Jesus is worthy of being loved. It can't be done. You cannot love a spouse the way Jesus deserves to be loved. You cannot love a child as much as we love our child. You can't love a friend or a roommate or a neighbor. It's not possible. And here's, here's why. Every single person you will ever love in this world, other than Jesus, you will love despite something. My wife, who's very patient with me, loves me despite at times the ocean of open cabinets I leave in my wake. My wife loves me despite the hamper full of clean clothes that takes me an extra two or three days to get to. You may love a parent despite them perhaps treating you a little too sternly or perhaps them not being around much when you were young. You may love a child despite the fact that they keep you up throughout the night despite the fact that they willingly disobey. I love my children despite the fact that on more than one occasion I've had to handle poop being used as, as finger paint around the house. Some, some of you been there, I don't know if that's just a boy's thing, but, but it's real. You may love a friend despite the fact that they're flaky. Every person in this world that you love, nonetheless, is flawed, has failed, has messed up, and has sinned. And the thing about Jesus is your love for Jesus is despite nothing. All of who Jesus is is fully deserving. With Jesus, there is no exception. There is no dimension of his character unworthy of your love, no corner of his personality undeserving of your affection. There is no aspect of his, of his person, of his temperament, really ineligible of your devotion. That's, that's Jesus, that's who he is. And so we keep that in mind as we look at the scripture and we see three truths about this kind of love. The first one is this, those who love Jesus, obey Jesus. He says it twice here. He says it once, just a few verses earlier. Man, that word obedience, that's a hard word for some of us to swallow. And you know what's interesting about the word obedience, I was having a conversation with somebody a few days ago about this, is when it comes to my children, obedience is such an important thing. And you look at someone who's, for instance, and whether you got kids or not, you look at someone and you see a child misbehaving. And it's easy for judgments to creep in about how you do it differently, blah, 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 all that stuff kind of up in your head. 
And you think about if somebody, and you're talking about a kid whose parent says, no, you can't eat ice cream for breakfast, right? You're talking about a kid who, no, you can't stay up till midnight. All the restrictions that parents put on for the good of their children. If somebody came into your house and took that piece of food out of your hand that you shouldn't be eating, how would you feel? If somebody said, sorry, it's bedtime. No, no phones allowed in your bedroom. You're not allowed to read the news today. It's been wreaking havoc on your soul. If you had someone in your world with that kind, how would you, you'd probably look like the three-year-old, if we're honest. Obedience kind of phases out in importance for many of us as we get older because the only person governing us is us. The word says those who love Jesus obey Jesus. And there's this tie here, and you got to get the order right. What it's not saying is, Because you obey, you love. It's saying, if you love, you will keep his word. If anyone loves, you will keep his word. The second thing pointed out is that those who don't love Jesus can't obey Jesus. You think about the people who do good things, who live nice lives. Just because that's the case doesn't mean They love Jesus, and you can't even call it obedience. This is strong language. And the thing about these two phrases is it completely challenges and eliminates the option that I think a lot of people get comfortable with in this world, and that is, I love Jesus, but I don't obey Jesus. I love Jesus, but I don't really like what he has to say about X. I love Jesus, but I don't like what he has to say about my money. I I love Jesus, but I don't like what he has to say about my bedroom. I love Jesus, but I don't like what he has to say about my relationships. Fill in the blank. And yet this leaves zero room for that. In Matthew 7, there's a very challenging passage in which Jesus says, there will be people who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we've done all these things in your name. People who acknowledge who Jesus is. We've done all this in your name, and he's going to say, get away. I never knew you, you doers of lawlessness. There's a connection there. They never actually were true lovers of Jesus. Their affections were never actually aimed at Jesus. Their their affections were aimed in a lot of other different directions. That's what we call sin, ultimate affection in the wrong direction. Because what? Doers of lawlessness. In our world... I feel it's so easy in the church for this to be the case because of two things. You have people who show up, they come to the church, they do what's checking all the right boxes, but they don't obey because they worship a different kind of Jesus. First, we worship a comfortable Jesus. A Jesus that is very, very comfortable with you doing whatever you please. A Jesus who's very, very comfortable with you spending your money however you want, treating people however you want. A Jesus who's very, very comfortable with you using your space that God has given you to steward however you want. A Jesus that is okay with you being really, really afraid. A Jesus that is very okay with you sitting in whatever mess you're in. We worship a comfortable Jesus. And secondly, We don't obey because we worship a Jesus that is a non-authority. Why don't you think about this? We treat Jesus as if I'm in this department 
and that's a different department. And Jesus is overseeing that department. And so he knows what he's talking about. He's got authority, it's just not over me. And so when that department head comes over to my department and starts telling me, they're like, whoa, 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 check yourself. This ain't where you belong. This ain't where your authority goes. But hear me, this is important. If you have to make Jesus look like you, if we have to make Jesus look like us in order to be worthy of our worship, if we have to strip Jesus of his power and glory in order to tolerate him, then whatever it is you're following, whatever it is you're worshiping, isn't actually Jesus. And if that's the case, repent. I don't know what you'd call yourself, but it's not a Christian. Jesus is making some really bold claims. Those who love him, obey him. Those who don't love him, can't obey him. And hear this, he's not saying you won't make mistakes. The posture of a Christian heart, of a follower of Jesus, isn't that, wow, because I failed, God doesn't love me. It's, wow, because I failed, I can come to him. Confess, repent, turn, and experience the open arms of the Father. If that's you, I challenge you to consider that. If we fall into either of these two categories, we have to ask the question, what is it that we love? One of the greatest problems of our world, I mentioned this before, it isn't that we lack affection, it's that our ultimate affection is in the wrong direction. Augustine, he put it this way, St. Augustine, he said, the essence of sin is disordered love. It's love in the wrong order. Do you feel that? Have you felt the temptation of that? Have you felt kind of the world with all the advertisements and all of the news and everything that's going on and and the family and, and the bickering and the division? Do you feel things out there competing for your heart? Things out there competing for your hope? Things out there competing for your satisfaction? Our love is disordered when we are finding greater hope in a house, a career, a family, or a bank account than we find in Jesus. Our love is disordered when we take an earthly relationship and expect it to provide the contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment that only Jesus can provide. Our love is disordered when we look at the works of our hands and use it as an opportunity for mere self-glorification. Our love is disordered when our emotional and psychological health is more swayed by news or a news feed than it is by God's news feed. It's disordered love. And if that's you this morning, again, you may not hear this word often, repent. Repentance isn't this thing that you do once as you enter into a relationship with God. Repentance is the posture of the heart of somebody who's mistaken and yet again knows that they are just affectionately loved by their father. God, I'm sorry. How do we solve this? How do, you, how do you move forward and begin to know Jesus in this kind of a way, to love Jesus in this kind of a way? Let me just tell you this. Spend time with him and learn more about him. When COVID hit, things got a lot less busy. For a lot of people, that did not translate to more time with Jesus. It translated to more time on Netflix, translated to more time on the news, 
It translated to more time on Facebook. It did not translate to more time with Jesus. It's hard to love someone you don't know. It's really hard to love someone that you don't spend any time with. Get in the word. My challenge to you, if you haven't had someone say this to you in a while, open your Bibles this week and get in the word. Read John one through four. Grow in your offer, Jesus. You know what happens when you spend time with Jesus, when you get in the word and you read about Jesus, when you get on your knees and you pray to Jesus, this is what you see. You meet a Jesus who is perfect and permanent. You meet a Jesus who is eternal and beautiful. You meet a Jesus whose mercy is unfailing and whose glory is unceasing. There is no hope more assured. There is no relationship more satisfying. There is no presence more joy-inducing, nor person more awe-inspiring. Jesus is the only person for whom an unqualified infection and an unwavering love is fully and completely deserved. But how do you love someone again that you don't know? And how do you love someone you don't spend time with? If this really is the wrestling of your heart this morning, you're like, I'm not obeying. I'm not, what does that mean about my love for Jesus? How much time do you spend with him this week? Not just with this, we don't worship the Bible, but on our knees. Finally, at the end of this verse, Jesus says something really, really interesting and really, really uplifting. At the end of verse 21, middle of verse 21, he says, and the one who loves me will be loved by my father. What does that mean? Does that mean that the father doesn't love people who don't love Jesus? No, you gotta take it in the context. What has Jesus been talking to? He said, you will be in me and I will be in you and I'm in my father. You have, again, this idea of union with Christ and, and the people who love Jesus in Christ get to experience the love of God in a different kind of way. You get to experience the relational love that Jesus experiences with the father. I just want you to think about this for a moment. This is a very Trinitarian language, a Trinitarian passage, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Think about this. Before time existed, there was the Trinity. You can't even use the word before because that word before assumes time. So you can say outside of creation, but the word outside is spatially oriented. And we're talking about when there was no space. We don't even have the language for this. In a reality in which it is only God and nothing else, you still have the Trinity, which means you still have relationship, which means you still have love. And that love between father and son, there's something very special and unique. And when we love Jesus, in Jesus, we get to participate with him in the father's love for us in a beautiful, profound, transformational kind of way. It means that I don't have to go through someone to get to God. I don't have to go through a priest or a pastor. In Christ, I get to experience that love directly. It means I don't have to be in a specific place. People worship spaces. They do that. Even now, post-Jesus, it becomes very, people would think of this as a holy space. That this is, is kind of like a temple. And space, I suppose you can make argument that certain things are sacred, but the most sacred space is what's within you because that's where the Holy Spirit lives. You don't need to be in a particular place. 
to experience the love that we have from the Father. But Christ in you, you in Christ, get to experience that relational intimacy wherever you are. Do you take it for granted? Or do you lean in? I'm over time. So I'm gonna make one more comment on verse 25 and 26. It says, I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. Here's the deal. We're not alone. We don't do this alone. But that word there is remind. Remind. Right? Teach and remind. It's hard to get reminded of something you don't know. Get in the word. Listen to Jesus. Cling to the promises. Holy Spirit teaches you, goes with you in a world full of difficulty and obstacle in which, again, people are bickering all over the place in which you've got to handle hard people. You're not alone. Holy Spirit is with you. You're struggling to love your kids. You're struggling to love your spouse. You're struggling to love your roommate or your neighbor. Holy Spirit is with you, teaching and reminding. So get truth, cling to it, and in the right moment, the Holy Spirit will remind you so that you can actually live it out. And that's the obedience that we're talking about. Love Jesus and obey. And when you fail, repent. And you're met with nothing but open arms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, again, I would ask that for those who had something they needed to hear and needed to be challenged, and even in my own heart, that it would sit and that you would seal it. That as they go home, God, that you would provoke this kind of love within them and give them discernment on what exactly it needs to look like. Draw them to your word, draw them to your presence, draw them to their knees. Do this for all of us, God, as we seek as a failed and sinful people to love you and represent you to a broken and desperately needy world. We love you. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Church family, man, I'm preaching in a sweater. It's warm up here. It's the first time I've done this in a while. Real quick, if you're new, welcome. We want to meet you. Stop by our welcome center. We'd love to connect with you. If you're online, click I'm new. If you want to learn more about who we are, join us at Welcome Aboard next week. You can sign up at the welcome center. We've got a good crew already going. We would love to meet you there. Finally, Financial Peace University starts tonight at 7 p.m. If you haven't signed up, you can just come and show up. It's going to be in the old overflow room in the other building. But we look forward to those people getting together and just wrestling through the tough stuff of money in community. That's a beautiful thing. Church, I love you. Hope you have a great week. You're not dismissed. You're sent. We'll see you next time.